You're listening to Horse Racing Heroes, Episode One, Dawn Run. Well, how you doing? Not so bad. Welcome to Episode One of Horse Racing Heroes, the horse racing podcast with no betting tips or even current affairs chat, but with every episode simply being about one great horse or person in racing, and hopefully hearing a few previously untold stories along the way. Episode one, huh? You know, in years to come, people are going to listen back to this and go, wow, no wonder it never went anywhere. But anyway, uh, my name is Mark Walsh. No, not the jockey. And I wanted a big name for the first episode of the show. And it's hard to get much bigger than Dawn Run. She's one of only five mares to win the champion hurdle, one of only four mares to win the Gold Cup, and the only horse in history, mare or gelding, to win both. She won 21 times in her career, between 1982 and 1986, and my guest today, Mr Tony Mullins, rode her on 15 of those victories. And it was Tony's father, the late Paddy Mullins, who trained the mare. And look, I'm sure many of you know, Tony is a great speaker, great to listen to. Uh, there's some really good stories in there, so go on. Just enjoy it for me. Do me a favour. This one time, just come on, just enjoy it. So, Tony, I'm here to talk to you about uh, the great Dawn Run. Um, So, we'll start at the beginning, if you don't mind. So, she was bought by Mrs. Charmian Hill as a three-year-old for 5,800 guineas. And am I right in saying your father had already trained a few horses for Mrs. Hill at that point? Yeah, she used to, in old God's time, she used to have her horses with uh, old Willie O'Grady, which is Edward's father. And then uh, when Willie O'Grady died, she came to my father. And just around the same time, women were allowed to ride in bumpers and in proper racing as opposed to just point of points. And I think Mrs. Hill was the first woman to ride in um, against men in a bumper in Fairy House back in the early 70s. So then she was with my father then from from then on, you know. So those early days before Don Run hit the track, what was what was she like at home? Did you have the feeling she was she was a smart one? Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Hill or Don Run? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with Don Run. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Don Run was. was you see, at the time, if you roll back to that time, um, Don Run was uh, a deep run filly. And deep run was just starting to really come to the fore. And they were saying that he couldn't get a filly, that it was all his geldings. And then she came along and they said he couldn't get a chaser. Then she became a chaser. And they eventually, they had to admit, he was just one of the greatest sires of all time. So she had the pedigree. Then she came up to us, a big masculine looking filly if you if you sort of to get a, a picture of her she was big masculine looking one and um never did anything spectacular but always did everything at her ease but like you, you know we'll say before she ever ran nobody ever said by god this is one you know she she worked nicely and she'd finish maybe in front maybe not and uh, then she progressed into what we know she was later and that but um she was good without being dynamic you know and at home i believe she was a little bit tricky it was a man called john clark looked after her, and i think yeah. 
not not many went into her stable apart from him. Is that right? Yeah, it's it used to be funny at the time. You know, the the English have a lovely way of dramatizing things. And when she became famous, we were saying the darling Irish mare. She was quite a savage in the stable, and uh, <clears throat> John Clark really got on well with her. But if a stranger went into the stable, she'd let him have it. I remember her vet, Paddy Fenley. Uh, when she was a young mare, she got what they call a hematoma on her backside, which is a big lump of fluid. And he came in, uh, it's hard to imagine nowadays, but in the old days, he just pulled a penknife out of his pocket and stabbed the, the uh, hematoma to drain it. And uh, it was the sorriest thing he ever did because she never let him do it again. He, he couldn't go into the stable unless John had a bridle on her. She knew and she remembered him. And uh, it was one that probably never went public, but that's what happened. Okay, then. So she, she hits the track in uh, the summer of 82. It's her owner at the tender age of 62, rides her for the first three time, first three runs. And she yeah. wins her bumper on the third occasion there. Yeah, I mean, not knocking Mrs. Hill, but I mean, I, I, I would say that the, uh, possibly if, you know, nowadays if Patrick had to ride her, she'd have won first time out. But, you know, she was learning... Mrs. Hill was learning about her, the mayor was learning about racing, and it took three runs for her to win her first race. And then your brother Tom gets on board, and I think it was after a win at Tralee, your father kind of expressed a bit of excitement to you. Yeah, him very quietly, he, he just said to me, this one is out of the ordinary. And, you know, I was actually quite surprised because, you know, we, we realised she had one or two bumpers and now had won the have a snack below in um, Tralee. So it was, I knew she was quite good, but I knew the way he said it, he thought she was something else. So I'd say he saw it a long, long time before anyone else. And then you you get a chance to find out for yourself then, uh, winning a maiden hurdle on her at Navin in December before onto a grade two at Leopardstown just eight days later. Yeah, I, I got a great feel off on that day in Navin. Um, and we went back then, I think Willie was favourite on another horse of ours called Castletown House in the Findus in, in Leperstown. And um, just the, the way she galloped up the hill in Navan, I said, we'll make this a stamina. And for a baby to go out and make all in a grade two hurl, just some performance out of her. And then I knew what my father was talking about. She was, she was electric that day for a, you know, for a relative baby. Mm. She was still only four years of age. So you know then you've got a Cheltenham horse in your hands and in the early part of 83, you, you ride her three more times in the lead up to Cheltenham and she's giving you all the right signs, is she? Oh yeah. I mean, she just progressed. You know, it was, it was unbelievable how she progressed uh, from race to race. I remember I, once I was uh, unplaced on her when Mrs. Hill wanted her held up and Don Run was having none of that and she just got sick of it around the third last and she just dropped it. She was a, a great galloper. Um, she loved to gallop at her own pace and it usually killed off the opposition. And if there was some good opposition later in life, when they came to her, she unbelievably could just pick up again. So Cheltenham then, 1983, she goes for the Sun Alliance Hurl, now the Ballymore, and you don't get to ride her. How did that, how did that come about? Oh, Mrs. Hill jocked me off the three times she went to Cheltenham at the festival. I was jocked off all three times, so didn't like it. But I think 34 years have passed. I'm getting over it. <laughs> she, she's second there, but you get back on board for entry then. 
Yeah, I can't remember why. I mean, maybe Ron Barry got a fall and um, got back on her. And we ran her on the Friday and uh, the good novice hurl. And she, she won very easily. And my father decided to run her again the next day. I remember everybody saying that uh, it was absolutely crazy. But it wasn't. Um, Gay Brief was the champion hurdler at the time. And she gave him a fair run. She only got beaten a length with about a half a furlong back to the third. So, I mean, we knew then. And then she came home from there. And two weeks later, she goes on to Punchestown and pulverize him then in the champion of his hurl in Punchestown. She was just, you know, an absolute machine. Yeah. So do, do those two two runs back to back in Aintree. You just don't see top class horses doing that these days, really. Yeah. And then to to come out again in Punchestown and do it. You know, we'll say she was doing it on soft ground all winter and then to go to Punchestown on good ground and annihilated them again, you know. So was that the case with the ground? All ground kind of came alike to her because she's running it all. She's running in later on in France, you know, midsummer nearly. Yeah. Well, you see, this is why I say that um, it annoys people because they they love Arkel. But I believe that she was better than Arkel. She she could run at two miles, two and a half miles, three miles, hard ground, soft ground, winter, summer, hurdles, fences. She was just superior every time she appeared. Okay, she goes into open company over hurdles then. You win on her at Down Royal in November. Yeah, and uh, when I jumped down in the number one that day, Mrs. Hill came over and said, um, well done, but you won't be riding her again. And um, what could I do then? It was jocked down and John Joe was put up then. So for that season. Yeah, did she give you a reason for that? No, only that I suppose that she felt that I wasn't experienced enough and um, John Joe got the ride, that was it. Yeah, so John Joe gets the ride and she, win she wins the Christmas hurdle at Kempton, the Irish champion hurdle at Leopardstown and the champion hurdle at Cheltenham. So I'm guessing this is, a, that's, this is painful for you to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I won't say it was painful. Like, I mean, we always have to remember it was our family was winning the Irish champion hurdle and the English champion hurdle. And then we went on to Aintree and uh, John Joe got a fall on the Thursday. So I got to ride her on the Saturday and I think she won 15 lengths. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a superior show that day. She won half the track. You know? And you stay on board then for France. You win the Prila Barca over two and a half in May and then the French champion hurdle over three miles in June. Champion hurdle hat-trick. And I believe you said on that day, she beat a horse who next time out won a group three on the flat. And you've since yeah. said on that day she'd have beaten Arkel. Was that her, one of her best ever performances? I That was the best feel I ever got off of that day. And if you divide up the times, I think there was racing in Tralee that day in Ireland. And I think there was a seven furlong maiden run that day. And per furlong, she went equally as fast for three miles and one over hurls as they did for the seven furlongs. Which is <laughs> an unbelievable performance. And I tell no. you how cocky we were that day. There was a photographer over for the English Times and he said to me uh, before the race, uh, if you know Otai, um, the Eiffel Tower can be seen in the background. And uh, probably never told anyone this, but he said to me, if you can jump the last in the centre of the hurl, I can get the Eiffel Tower in the background. So we were planning pictures. We, we just thought she was such a, 
a good thing on the day that we were planning where we jumped the last to get the Eiffel Tower into the picture. Incredible. So then novice chasing, she just gets the one run at Navin. She wins, but then she doesn't run for over a year. So I presume she hurt herself that that day in the run or was it afterward? Yeah, well, we always blamed um, uh, France. I don't mean blame France, but I mean, I think that the end of the the hard season to have two runs in France, that while it didn't transpire while she was out for the summer, I'd say that the first time she was extended again in Navan brought out possibly what had happened in Otai in June, you know. So I remember then we had a runner in America the following week and uh, my father had left to go to America and uh, we noticed that she wasn't good about three days after that Navin run. And when I got to America, I didn't tell him for, so we were nearly going home, but I said, I think Don Run is in trouble. And oh man, he was so upset. When we got home, we saw it and then we thought it wasn't too bad. And we tried for another maybe two weeks, you know, they were riding around just trotting and that, but it flared up a couple of times, tendon trouble. And uh, she was let off for the year then. So, yeah, just over a year off. She comes back for the, the Durkin brothers over two and a half at um, Punchestown. What, what were confidence levels like? Did you know she was back to herself or were you unsure? Uh, well, like when you come back from a tendon injury, you know, it's, I often compare it to trying to juggle water for glass. You just don't know until you push the button at the races. You know, I mean, um, her work at home was brilliant. And we were very anxious going to the Durkin chase. And um, then I think there was a very good horse of Cunningham's around at the time called Rainbow Warrior. And, uh, you know, he, he was in the betting for the Gold Cup as well. And um, he was a formidable opponent for her first run back after a year. But she obliterated him. And um, then, you know, we were still anxious for another week after that to make sure that um, the tendon had fully settled. And amazingly, it had. So we then aimed at the Christmas race, which ended up a three-horse race. And Drapers had a good old horse at the time called uh, Kilkillone. And Kilkillone jumped out and went a million miles an hour. I remember halfway up the back straight that day, the great Buckhouse was beside me with Tommy Carmody riding. And we were going some lick and Carmody turned to me. He says, I wonder, are we getting enough money for the speed we're going? You know, something words to that effect. And I said to myself, he's feeling the pinch. I knew I had him. So um, when I jumped the third last, I just kicked on and she went well clear. So she went well clear then. And then it was on to Cheltenham for a prep race for the Gold Cup. And in the words of your father, she learned her lesson that day. She did, and it uh, cost me probably a Gold Cup. I, I I don't know, maybe Mrs Hill would have jocked me down anyway for the Gold Cup, but it would have been very hard for her had I won that day. But unfortunately, she hit the open ditch at the top of the hill very hard. And a lot of people don't realise she lost two shoes that, with the thump she hit it. See, the camera head-on is a little deceiving. It just looks like that she made a little mistake and I went out overhead, but she actually stopped from 35 miles an hour down to nearly five miles an hour because I, I, I caught her and remounted. And, uh, you know, so you can imagine the, the, the speed she was going, going into it. And for me to be able to jump back up on her, how quickly she stopped. So 
she hit that fence an almighty tumble. Um, but she learned her lesson and went then for the Gold Cup. And, um, you know, everyone remembers the Gold Cup now, as Peter O'Sullivan very famously said, and the mayor is beginning to get up. It was, uh, even though it was jocked down, it was an amazing uh, feeling when she hit the front, just going to the line. Yeah, I mean, if you could take me through the race briefly, like even when she's jumping the last, it looks like she's she's got no chance, really. Yeah, uh, but that was Dawn Run. There was no end to her. Uh, she just stayed galloping and, you know, possibly horses uh, like Wayward Lad, forgive and forget, like, you know, Wayward Lad won three King Georges and forgive and forget had already won a Gold Cup. And uh, these were very classy horses, but when it came down to a real battle, that's when the best of Dawn Run was seen. And I believe you watched that race and you had a couple of English journalists over your shoulder kind of watching you watching it. Yeah, that annoyed me a bit. Um, you know, they were waiting for me to be giving out because I'd been jumped down. But you see, uh, <laughs> while I would be thinking of myself, the bigger picture was that our family and our yard had won the Gold Cup. So it was massively exciting. And I'd say that, um, you know, later on, I was probably disappointed that I didn't ride her. But the immediate reaction was, we've won the Gold Cup, you know. Is it, is it true that yourself and your father never discussed the, the jocking off? You just kind of both silently felt the injustice of it? I don't think we ever discussed it, even years later. Um, a very hurtful thing, you know, to, to the way it happened. And um, I don't think either of us need to, needed to explain to each other. Uh, and it it ran deep. Mm. Even after, the, when you won the Gold Cup, um, he didn't really join in the celebrations. It was, it was your mother, Maureen, accepted the trophy from the Queen Mother and your father was just back with the mayor, not really getting involved. Yeah, well, it wasn't that he wasn't really getting involved. He was he was very upset that I would imagine that uh, he felt it should have been me riding it. And um, as well, you know, I mean, he was looking after the mayor, but he just wanted out of the limelight uh, on the minute. I don't think it was as exciting for him um, as it would have been, we'll say, if I had to ride her. She goes on to Aintree next, but falls at the first. Is that right? Yes, and, um, you know, she, she was capable of doing that, you see. Um, for the beautiful mare that she was, she was quite um, ignorant at her jumping. If she met one right, she was brilliant. If she met one wrong, she felt she had the strength to bulldoze it. And she just overshot the runway that day and the fence didn't move and she did. So you get back on board for... Uh, a match race at Punchestown. And I believe that came about due to, was it an error in the entries? Yeah, there was a big sponsored race put on in Gorn, hopefully to get her to run in Gorn. And that was the plan. But uh, years ago, there was a different entry system. And when a race came on late like that, it was on a separate sheet to the normal entries. And unbelievably, my father's secretary forgot and uh, the race was closed and the next thing she couldn't run. So all the planning of our local track had gone down the drain. So Vincent O'Brien came to me then at the Curra races and asked me, would you think your father had agreed to the match? 
and he was quite happy to do so. And he, he met Mrs. Hill and asked her and she said that, that was fine. And that's how the match came about. So this is a match race against Bookhouse, the champion chaser, um, over two miles. You're back on board. And I have a quote from you saying you, you understood the pressure of the situation and that losing would be catastrophic. So could you talk to me about the pressure you felt going into that match race? Yeah, it was the first time I ever rode her that I felt pressure because now she was a, a an icon in the country at the time. If you remember, there was um, a big depression at that time during the middle 80s in Ireland and she had become the symbol of hope, I suppose. Now I arrive in Punchestown and the crowd, I mean, I'll never forget the crowd. I've been to Punchestown for the last 50 years and crowd that day was just unbelievable the size and the the, the will for her their champion to to uh, come up trumps and here my like i saying to myself if anything goes wrong they'll say how right they were to jock them down and that so i did for the first time i felt pressure and then uh as the race started and everything went swimmingly for most of the way we got up near the the second last, which used to be right on the bend that time. And um, I, I I felt her going to jump it wrong. And I pulled her a little to the left to make her, you know, to give her a bit of chest room. And I jumped way out to the left because it was on the bend. When I landed, I was way out. I nearly had a stroke because I hear the champion chaser has slipped up me in her knee and got two lengths. I got a terrible fright. I thought everything had gone wrong. And lucky enough that um, the brilliant Don Run covered up the little mistake I made. So we had it. We were back in tune. Then we were upsides again, going down to the last. And we were going some gallop. And knowing Don Run, I said, if we don't meet this right, uh, <laughs> she'll divide it like Moses divided the sea. So uh, just as I got to it, she was a little bit tight. So. I let her run a little to the left again and she jumped it brilliant and went away to win. And I can tell you, the last 50 yards, I felt a weight going off my shoulders. You know, the relief. Because you just can't... I, I don't know, can you imagine nowadays um, what it was like that day? That day, the atmosphere that day was... It was like two two teams being level in, a, in an All-Ireland with about a minute to go, which was just unbelievable. And um, to eventually get to win, uh, it, it was a big relief. Yeah, I can imagine. I've seen you say it was the fastest you've ever gone over two miles over fences that day. Oh yeah, by far. And you know, you'll often, uh, with good horses, you'll often quicken over the last three, you know, up to a serious speed. But those two, Buckhouse, you know, was the champion chaser. They nearly sprinted for two miles. Uh, we were going some lick from start to finish. Uh, it was massively fast that day, yeah. Next, we had the kind of debate. Mrs. Hill wanted to go for the French champion hurdle again, but Paddy and seemingly basically everyone else didn't want to. Could you talk to me about that contentious debate? Well, I think uh, at that stage, Mrs. Hill had come to believe that the mayor was unbeatable and uh, my father I'd say was thinking of the leg trouble that he felt he got in Otai two years earlier 
and he um, was against it. And Mrs. Hill just really wanted a goal. So we went to the first race, the Prix de Barca, and she got beaten. And when I came in, uh, I jumped down and turned to my father and I said, there was no hard look there. I said, she was as good as ever. But I said, chasing has blunted her speed for hurdling. So as I walked away, I heard Mrs. Hill saying again, uh, we will have to get another jockey. He hasn't the confidence to ride her to win. So I, I, uh, I wasn't that disappointed this time because I knew this horse that beat us that day was going to beat us again in the champion. So it didn't really bother me. And then I was at the day of the actual champion hurl then. I was at the uh, Derby sale, which was still in Simmons Court in the RDS at the time. And I was standing there and Ross Eason, who used to work for Michael Harrigan, came up to me and said the mayor fell. And I laughed. And I, she said, you're very heartless. And I said, I mean, she fell. I said, sure, won't I ride her next year to, to uh, win the Gold Cup? And she said, no, Tony, she said, she's dead. And, you know, it, it, ah, it was a massive shock, uh, you know, because when she fell, I said, well, that's the end of the French jockey riding and, and I was sort of happy. And, uh, but I had never dreamt, I, I thought of her falling. I felt that she was going to get beat anyway. So nothing was a surprise until she said, you know, it just never entered my head that she'd get killed. It was a massive shock. Mm. I've seen it said it was the angriest you've ever felt when you heard that news as well. Yeah, I think uh, I went off on my own, then I went off for a walk out around the car parks. And I did, I got very angry uh, because I felt, you know, these things can happen in the best of circumstances. But I felt that she should never have been there that day. And... Um, you know, just changed the course of history, that one mistake. And your father then, by all accounts, a man of few words, but when pressed for comment said, that mayor was my life, uh, how, how, how did he take the, the news? Well, he was great to get over things. And uh, I, I don't know, did we ever speak about her really after that, only for interviews and that, but I, I don't think personally we ever spoke about it. Yeah, I don't mean me and him. I mean anybody in the house. You know, we knew what had happened, and uh, it was very, very upsetting. You know, I mean, for us to lose her was phenomenal, but for, even for the country to lose her, mm -hmm. she was, you know, just an unbelievable mayor. The like of her will never be seen again, and uh, here she's gone in two seconds. She was eight years old, was it, when that happened? So would have had a couple more years ahead of her still. Oh, well, there's no doubt she would have had a couple of more years, yeah. She was, um, you know, I'd say that she was only really maturing. Um, see, a lot of people don't realise she was 17 hands. She was a huge big mare. And a lot of people don't realise that, um, you know, I would say she was only really coming to the, coming to her prime. Wow, okay. And you've obviously seen some of the great horses. You've, you've got your own Group 1 winning mare on the flat now. Yeah. How, how does Don Run stack up amongst the, some of the greats? Well, you see, you know, with Princess Zoe there for me at the moment is, is now a Group 1 winner and very exciting. 
Um, but, you know, she's as good as good stairs were before. But you see, Dawn Run was the greatest. So, I mean, it, it, it's like saying, I don't know who's even the great boxer of the moment, but Muhammad Ali was the greatest. So I don't even know who is the heavyweight champion of the world at the moment. So, you know, it was like losing Muhammad Ali. You know, she was just superior at every level all her life. So to lose her in two seconds was a massive, massive shock. That's brilliant, Tony. Are there any other little stories from her from a career that you you can get off your chest there? Uh, no. Um, it used to be funny when Mrs. Hill used to come up to write her out and that, and my father would be sweating, you know, because she had become a very powerful mayor at this stage. And our gallop at the time was a very small little gallop. And she'd come up around the bend and, and she'd be lying off like Joey Dunlop on a motorbike, so she would. And oh, he couldn't wait to get her down off her and get the mayor back into her stable. So I often think of that, you know, that the pressure he was under. Because, no, Mrs. Hill was doing nothing wrong. You know, I mean, she was riding her own mare, but um, he knew what he had. And uh, the pressure of trying to keep her happy riding her own mare and trying to prepare her for championship races. It was a fair old juggle for him to have to do. Fantastic, Tony. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed that. Uh, learned plenty myself, so really appreciate your time. Right, I'll see you. Thanks a million, Tony. Appreciate Thanks, it. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, how about that? Thanks so much to Tony, um, a real gent and a pleasure to speak to. And my thanks also to Dave Keena, who gave me a hand with the episode. And one interesting thing I just wanted to touch on before wrapping up. Tony obviously spoke about the, the match race between Don Run and Buckhouse. And those two horses had kind of remarkably in sync careers. Uh, they were both born in the same month. They both won twice at the Cheltenham Festival, once over hurdles, once over fences. They met seven times in their careers, with Don Run winning all seven. And the last of these was obviously the match race in April 1986. Don Run died just over two months later, racing in France, which, sadly, was just a couple of days after Buckhouse had died from colic. Alright, here's a question for you. Do you like racing commentaries being played over a good song? I can tell you the answer to that question already, and it's yes. And that is how I'll be ending every episode of Horse Racing Heroes. So you are about to hear Sir Peter O'Sullivan's commentary of the Gold Cup, featuring probably the most famous line in racing commentary history, the mare's beginning to get up, and then you'll hear the end of the Buckhouse match race, Tony's last win on the mare, and when he felt all that pressure he told you about. The song is The Missing Piece by a band called Farrakhet, and that'll do it. So the next episode is about the wonderful servant Irish racing uh, shake the bucket and I assure you uh, you don't want to miss that so be sure to subscribe to the show and you know if you want to leave me a little review while you're at it won't complain or you know give me a little shout out on social media Twitter Facebook wherever um, I'm doing this thing solo so any support at all is greatly appreciated and look I'll uh, look I'll let you go mind yourself I'll catch you next time okay look Just two fences left to jump in the Gold Cup. 
and it's run and skip. Over on the far side, the mayor, Dawn Run, Wayward Lad, the veteran, on the near side, and Forget and Forget, still running very, very strongly indeed, last year's winner, as they approach the second last fence. Run and skip, Dawn Run, Wayward Lad and Forgive and Forget, coming there strongly on the stand side at the second last. Run and skip, Dawn Run, Wayward Lad, Forgive and Forget, still coming there strongly on the near side. Forgive and Forget on the near side, now as they come to the final fence, Forgive and Forget is going to jump marginally in the lead from Wayward Lad. Forgive and Forget on the near side, Wayward Lad on the far side, it's Wayward Lad, the best one, trying to break his jump, and Hogu being pressed on by Dawn Run in the centre, Forgive and Forget on the near side, as they race to the line, and the mayor's beginning to get up, and as they come to the line, she's made it, Dawn Run has won it, Dawn Run has won it from Wayward Lad. over the whip, Dawn Run on the near side, fighting back as they come down to the final fence, Dawn Run on the near side is the leader, Buckhouse on the far side, Dawn Run and Buckhouse flat out of the last, Dawn Run jumps right across course the stand side, the Chiefs have the leader at this stage, Buckhouse over on the far side, they're racing down into the closing stages and Dawn Run, the goal cup winner is going to make it, Buckhouse on the far side, Dawn Run lifting it over to the right, but she's going to win it, Dawn Run wins the match, Dawn Run wins it by about two lengths from Buckhouse and what a great race they gave us.